Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Effective Altruism Forum Weekly Podcast. My name is Colin Snell. This week, we are covering the 17th to the 23rd of April, 2023. And before getting started, uh, I just wanted to say that we just hit the six-month mark of doing the summaries as well as the summary podcasts. Because we're hitting this mark of six months, we wanted to do a survey of our audience. Uh, so Zoe and I, Zoe being the, of course, amazing writer who comes up with the summaries each week, we wanted to conduct a survey of our listeners and our readers uh, to see how we can improve the show. So if you listen, there's a link down below to Zoe's original Substack post or form post. Uh, and at the top of that, you will find a link to the survey. So it'll take no more than five, 10 minutes, and it would really, really mean a lot to improve this project. So if the podcast or summaries have been impactful for you, go ahead and fill out the impact survey linked. Thank you guys so much. Speaking of thanks, as always, thank you to Zoe for writing these. Thank you to Type 3 Audio for helping get these up on the RSS feed. And of course, thank you to Rethink Priorities for the general support. All right, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the object level interventions and reviews section for the week. The first post we have is by Liska, and it's called 12 Tentative Ideas for U.S. Policy. This is a link post to a list of ideas by Luke Milhauser, which tentatively think would increase the odds of good outcomes from transformative AI. Some of these specific ideas include software export controls, requiring hardware security features on cutting edge chips, tracking stocks and flows of chips and licensing big clusters, requiring a license to develop frontier AI models, which are then subject to info, security, and testing, as well as evaluation requirements. Muehlhauser also recommends fund-specific genres of alignment, interpretability, model evaluation, and info sect R&D, as well as creating a narrow antitrust safe harbor for AI safety and security collaboration, requiring certain kinds of AI instant reporting, clarifying the liability of AI developers for concrete AI harms, and creating means for rapid shutdown of large compute clusters and training runs in the case of, of high-risk research being conducted. This connects to a list of government AI policy ideas and a recent Future of Life Institute report policy making in the pause, both by Zach Stein Perlman. Some of these policy recommendations in the FLI policy brief were mandating robust third-party auditing and certification, regulating access to computational power, establishing capable AI agencies at the national and potentially international level, establishing liability for AI-caused harms, introducing measures to prevent and track AI model leaks, expanding technical AI safety research funding, and developing standards for identifying and managing AI-generated content and recommendations. Moving on to animal welfare, the first article is by Ben West, and it's called Leaked EU Draft Proposes Substantial Animal Welfare Improvements. This, once again, is a link post to a press release by Eurogroup for Animals, which claims the draft impact assessment report on the revision of the EU's animal welfare legislation was leaked and contains 18 measures. I'll be listing out some of these here. Phasing out cages for all species, increasing space allowance for all species, banning of the of systemic culling of male chicks, introduction of welfare requirements for stunning of farmed fish, banning cruel slaughter practices like water baths and CO2 for poultry and pigs, banning mutilations like beak trimming, tail docking, dehorning, and surgical castration of pigs, as well as limiting journey times for transport of animals destined to slaughter. 
And lastly, applying the EU standards to import animal products in a way that's compatible with WTO rules. Fun fact, the second to last one there, limited journey times for transport of animals destined to slaughter. Uh, that specifically is a big part of the Animal Welfare Act that was passed in the United States, being of course for animals being transported between farms or to slaughter facilities. The next article we have is by Tessa at ALI, Quack Life Institute, and it's called Hiding in Plain Sight, Mexico's Octopus Farm Research Facade. In November 2022, Aquatic Life Institute, ALI, implemented a global campaign that aimed to increase public and legislative pressure on countries as well as regions where octopus farms are being considered. In 2023, there were some major wins in this area, including, first, Hawaii's Division of Aquatic Resources issued a cease and desist letter to the Kanaloa Octopus Farm for operating without the required permits. A house bill to prohibit octopus farming was proposed in Washington State, my home state, which passed the first vote by nine yeses to two noes. And third, in the UK, the RSPCA called for plans to halt the world's first octopus farm in Spain. However, the town of Cezal has since become the location of Mexico's first octopus farm. It is a collaboration between a university, uh, UNAM, research center, and a commercial branch, with around 388 octopuses slaughtered each production cycle. ALI strongly opposes the operation of this farm. It's also disguised as a research center, they argue, and has petitioned the university to close it and the United Nations Development Program, which gave it a $50,000 grant to stop any funding of the cephalopod farms worldwide. Next in the animal welfare arena, we have animal charity evaluators is seeking intervention effectiveness research and cost effectiveness estimates by animal charity evaluators. Animal charity evaluators are gathering relevant research on the effectiveness of different animal advocacy interventions to support their assessments and recommendations. You can view this existing list of reference material in the link provided in Zoe's authorship. They also have a spreadsheet of existing cost effectiveness estimates for different interventions, which can also be viewed. If you're aware of any additional relevant research estimates, they would really appreciate hearing about it in the comments of the post. Moving on to global health and development, we have ZZZAP, malaria, twice as cost-effective as bed nets in urban areas, by Arnold Hurry Yuffin. The author's TLDR is this. ZZZAP, with two Zs, malaria's digital technology for planning and managing large-scale anti-malaria field operations obtained results that are twice as cost-effective as bed nets in reducing malaria in urban and semi-urban settings. With roughly one in eight people on Earth living in high risk for malaria areas, uh, this is really, really important research. Uh, so I'm excited to see if it gets substantiated uh, and where the conversation keeps going with it and if the ZAP gets funding. Speaking of malaria, Henry Howard wrote, Ghana has approved the use of a malaria vaccine with over 70% efficacy. The R21 Matrix M malaria vaccine showed 71 to 80% efficacy in preventing cases of malaria in a randomized control phase 2 trial last year. This is substantially higher than the next best option, the RTS-SASO1 vaccine, which reduces hospital admissions from severe malaria by around 30%. Ghana has approved it already, and this new vaccine for children aged 5 to 36 months is going to save a lot of lives if it is implemented properly within Ghana. R underscore Kennedy also notes in the comments of this article that Nigeria 
also recently approved the same R21 matrix and malaria vaccine. Moving on to the opportunity section of the week, we have list of short-term, around 15 hours or less, biosecurity projects to test your fit by Sofia Libediva. Some of the biosecurity projects that don't require a lab listed in the article uh, include things like conducting literature reviews on related topics or reviewing biosecurity policy in a given country. The author suggests after completing one, you reflect on the process, and if interested in getting more involved, you can contact them for getting into the field, using your project, of course, as a work sample. The next article we have is by U.S. Policy Careers. It's called U.S. Policy Master's Degrees, Top Programs, Applications, and Funding, Part 2. This is a follow-up on Part 1, which discusses what policy master's degrees are, why and when you might want to do one, and possible alternatives to them. This post discusses criteria for choosing where to apply, specific degrees they would recommend, how to apply, and how to secure funding. It also includes a policy master's database of 20 recommended degree programs, how to apply, and how to secure coveted master's funding. It also includes a policy master's database of 20 recommended degree programs. The next article we have is by Alexandra Bose. It's called Impactful Side Projects and Organizations to Start which is yet another list of different EA project ideas, compiling over 20 posts with ideas across both long-termist and near-termist cause areas. It's literally people just giving out ideas for work samples uh, and also fit test projects. It's so great to see. The next article we have is coming to us from our community and media section, and it's by The Athenians, which is a great name for the EA forum. And it's called We're Losing Creators Due to Our Nitpicking Culture. This is a cross post of Duncan Sabian's post, Killing Socrates. The EA and L, uh, Less Wrong forums have a culture of users critiquing any part of a post they disagree with or believing needs more rigor. This is in contrast, stark contrast, with discussing the core idea of the post or building upon the author's ideas to help make it a better version of itself. At scale, this can leave many authors exhausted, feeling bad, and hesitant to post again. Additionally, not mentioned in the article, but equally compelling in this discussion of how we're nitpicking, the nitpicking culture is leading to a decrease in content or disincentivizing creators. If you're new to writing on the A forum, it can be extremely, extremely disencouraging to see how nitpicky a lot of folks can be. It leads people to not start projects. It leads people to not ask questions. And that is something that a community trying to improve the world is not best fitted or suited with. So thank you guys very much for writing that article. The next post is called Updates to the Effective Ventures US Board by Zachary Robinson, Nicole Ross, and Nick Beckstead, as well as Zachary Robinson's Apply or Nominate Someone to Join the Boards of Effective Ventures Fund or Foundation in the UK and US. The EV US Board currently has the following trustees. Nicole Ross, Nick Beckstead, Zachary Robinson, who's a new addition, as well as the interim CEO of EV Effective Ventures US since January, and who was also the previously the chief of staff at Open Philanthropy, as well as Eli Rose, who's also a new addition, senior program associate at Open Philanthropy. Rebecca Kagan recently resigned from the board due to disagreements with Effective Ventures board's strategy and approach. She plans to share more thoughts on this in a post or release in the future. The EV UK board trustees are Claire Zabel, Nick Beckstead, Tasha McCauley, as well as Will McCaskill. 
Both the EV US and EV UK boards are still working to bring on additional trustees. The running open philanthropy, excuse me, the running open application rounds where you can apply or nominate someone by May 14th. The next post is by Dina Englander and it's called five proposed changes to the funding system to increase org survival and impact. The author argues better infrastructure support is the top thing that funders can do to help EA orgs be more impactful and survive. They suggest five specific points. Sharing a list of standard budget items every startup should consider. These things could include accounting, legal, marketing, operations, coaching, etc. Potentially including a budget consultant as part of the funding approval process is also really viable here. Second, encourage startups to seek professional help. Potentially partner with management consultants that can help support them. They're professionals for a reason, right? They're extremely, extremely beneficial to tap into, and we should encourage that. Third, encourage startups to spend money developing their community and organization support system. Implement accountability metrics for compliance is four. This would include getting proof of a separate legal entity and bank account before transferring funds, requiring proof of insurance and annual P&Ls before continued funding, and five, tracking performance data. How much was funded, how long the org lasted, reasons for success and failure, as well as resources utilized or underutilized are all specific data markers that could really inform better funding structures. The next article is called 500 Million, but not a single one more, The Animation by Writer. Rational Animations is a rationalist and long-termist focused YouTube channel that has some amazing animated videos. I absolutely love them. And they just posted a video called 500 Million, but not a single more, which describes humanity's battle to eradicate smallpox, one of the most badass things we have done as a species to date. Well, that is our show for this week, everyone. Thank you so much to the other half of this team, Zoe Williams, as always, for writing these amazing summaries, as well as thank you so much to the support folks over at Type 3 Audio super great that they are helping out i really appreciate it and of course thank you to rethink priorities for the general support well as always let's go ahead and finish off with a quick reminder remember keep cultivating things that bring you a sense of purpose in making a better world because meaning motivates and helps us build a better stronger faster more optimal high impact effective altruism community all right i'll see you guys next week